Across the nation, the image of the small farmer working a family plot is dear to American hearts. But the reality of the small farm situation is bleak. The average age of the farming population gets higher and higher each year. And small and mid-sized plots of land are now rapidly being sold for housing and mixed-use development or agribusiness. Today, to buy your own farmland and plow your own crop row requires capital investment, real money. That reality is especially daunting for first-generation farmers, regardless of what they aim to grow. They had so many offers on the place that they had turned around and said, okay, you have another, you have the weekend to come back with your best offer because we're going to give it to the highest bidder. So that means you're going to have to go above what the asking price is. When we then put in a bid that was actually for the entire property, but was a bit less than they were asking, but we made it clear also we were planning to farm it. That was ended up being one of the variables that kind of pushed them in our favor. You're listening to Gravy. 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 Stories of the changing American South told through the foods we eat. We're a production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, and I'm John T. Edge, your host. Today, join us to listen and learn about how first-generation farmers face down and overcome barriers to locating and leasing or purchasing affordable and viable farmland. Caroline Leland brings us this story of money and dirt. I forgot that I could do that for a second. I forgot. (laughs) Heather Sevchak is a 29-year-old midwife raising goats, chickens, bees, mushrooms, and vegetables on 18 acres of land about a half-hour drive north of Nashville, Tennessee. Sevchak and her 30-year-old partner, John Ramirez, have owned this land since September 2015. That's when they finally closed on the property after six months of searching. You know, I'd been farming for a number of years in the Hudson Valley uh, in New York, and land prices were pretty expensive there. That's Ramirez. The two of them invited me to their home on Thriving Earth Farm. There wasn't, you know, too many options close to a city center, so I figured I'd move down to Nashville and kind of see what would happen. Ramirez and Savchuk met in 2014 when they were working on neighboring farms. And we started uh, farming together and living together and we became partners in more ways than one. Um, And then, uh, yeah, I guess we just decided that there was no use in like each renting a space out and paying monthly rent when we could buy land and have a similar or potentially lower mortgage payment monthly. Even if it was higher, you know, when you're renting, it feels like you're kind of throwing money away. We also were wanting to establish some some things that are going to last for years and years to come, such as perennial crops like fruit trees and nuts and um, and build some more permanent structures. And so it kind of, it felt that was part of the call as well. Subject and Ramirez started their hunt with a realtor who they felt didn't fully understand their needs. Through a word-of-mouth recommendation, they next got in touch with a Middle Tennessee realtor known as Bull Run Bob. My name is Bob McCowan. I've been a realtor in Nashville for 18 years now, and I've lived in this area about five miles from where we are now for 11 years. Every time I get the chance to 
to place somebody on a farm in this area. I love to do it because I think the more of that that occurs, the less likely we are to have wholesale development in the area. I guess as a realtor, I should be all in favor of development every day because that's what pays my bills. But there's enough land being developed in the city of Nashville. McCowan says he was part of a fight against development in nearby Bell's Bend, where one landowner proposed a $4 billion project in 2008. Locals protested, wanting to preserve the area's rural character. When Ramirez and Sevchek reached out to McCowan, he made a point to teach them about the farmland acquisition process. Sevchek and Ramirez restricted their search to Davidson County to be close to customers in Nashville and to ease Sevchek's commute to her full-time job in the city. The cleared property with fences and roads and ponds and barns and stuff like that are super expensive. So when we were looking, we saw a lot of that, but then we also saw a lot of other opportunities. Um, Steeper land tends to be cheaper and heavily forested land, which is what our land is, tends to be cheaper. A lot of land in the area is being sold by farmers' children who want to cash out their inheritance. This was the case for Ramirez and Sevchek as well. And what we learned in talking with the realtor um, who was selling the property was that it was a, a full working farm at one point. The older gentleman who passed on, he farmed the land and it used to all be clear, except for a very small portion was essentially pasture. So it's gentle sloping enough that it's very appropriate for farming, but it came with the price of having laid fallow for, you know, 25, 30 years. The most recent federal agriculture census showed that the number of new and beginning farmers in the United States declined by 28 percent between 2007 and 2012. McCowan says farming in Middle Tennessee has fallen out of favor, that most landowners here just want a secluded country retreat. Many of them hold on to their otherwise unused property, knowing it can probably be sold at a premium for development soon enough. It's very difficult to find suitable land for farming, number one, in our area because it's all it, it tends to be very steep and, and unsuitable for anything other than goats. Uh, it's also tough to find land that people will actually turn loose of out here because people, once they move into this area, they love it. But uh, I know very, very few actual farmers in this area. In that sense, Ramirez and Sevchek were unusual buyers. They wanted more than a country idol, and they were determined to find the right property. We didn't put a bid in when when this place went up on the market. It, it actually had multiple offers within the first 24 hours. But it turns out that they had so many offers on the place that they had turned around and said, okay, you have another, you have the weekend to come back with your best offer because we're going to give it to the highest bidder. So that means you're going to have to go above what the asking price is. The owners had split their 18 acres into two parcels, the five acres surrounding the house and then a separate 13 acres of raw land. The raw land had been on the market for two weeks without much attention before the house was ready to sell, and it was the parcel with the house that received the flurry of bids when it went onto the market. Sevchek and Ramirez were one of the only bidders, if not the only, wanting to buy both land parcels together. When we then put in a bid that was actually for the entire property, but was a bit less than they were asking. But we made it clear also that we wanted all of it and that we were planning to farm it. That was ended up being one of the variables that kind of pushed them in our favor. 
Small farms are often thought to be more environmentally sustainable, but they're not often financially feasible, especially for young people. Paying off student loans into their 30s or beyond and managing mortgage payments on top of the other daunting startup costs and regulations of a new farm, young farmers like Ramirez and Sevchek depend heavily on a full-time off-farm income. The need for that off-farm job and the need for customers forced them to search for a farm near a city, which in turn limited them to more expensive land prospects. It's a total catch-22. After the break, we'll hear from some of the dynamic organizations and keen individuals who are now helping young farmers acquire their own land. But first, there is that donor music. Jamie Ager and his wife Amy run Hickory Nut Gap Farm in western North Carolina, just outside of Asheville. Jamie is a fourth-generation farmer and works farmland that has belonged to his family for over 100 years. They raise pastured pork and poultry, and grass-fed beef without the use of antibiotics or growth hormones. With wine, they talk about the flavor of the region, the terroir of an area, and I think grass-fed beef really lends itself well to that same concept where you're, you're actually eating the flavor of the soils. You're really getting to experience that specific locale. That's where they're spending their entire lives is on those pastures and the minerals and the soils and the weather all have such a big impact on the flavor of that meat. We're excited to be able to offer that and excited that it's uh, such a different flavor from our more conventional counterparts. When you next visit Whole Foods Market, look for Hickory Nut Gap Farms 100% organic grass-fed beef. Your purchase supports healthy foods and family farms, just as Whole Foods supports this podcast. Eat real food at Whole Foods Market. Hi, it's Melissa. And if you're looking for another great podcast from the South, then you have to check out No Small Endeavor, produced by our friends at Great Feeling Studios and PRX. Each episode, award-winning professor and Nashville native Lee C. Camp merges the worlds of philosophy, theology, the arts, and more to ask the question, how can we live a good life while nourishing the soul? Plus, it's the only show I know that features everyone from legendary actor and filmmaker Rob Reiner to Southern activist and author Anthony Ray Hinton. So go ahead, follow No Small Endeavor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and tell them Gravy Said Hey. Meg Edwards, who runs a 160-acre farm an hour west of Nashville, says that when old age forces her and her husband Harry to retire from farming, they'll sell their farm, but it'll be tough deciding whom to sell to. The Edwards, who raise poultry and beef cattle, are in their 50s and have no children of their own. Meg Edwards says she would have wanted her kids to take over the farm if that had been a possibility. This area is definitely being developed, so the idea of selling it to a developer is real. However, we have put so much love, labor, sweat, tears into restoring the pastures, 
putting up fencing, you know, really, really organically and biodynamically farming this land, that it would be a total sellout to us if we just turn around and let a developer come in and pay top dollar. The Edwards bought their land six years ago from an older couple whose children had pursued careers off the farm. The property never actually went on the market. Their realtor heard of the opportunity through a chance encounter with the original owner. As military retirees, the Edwards had enough savings to afford the land purchase. Gary Bullen, a North Carolina State University Extension Associate, says that finding affordable land is the number one challenge all new farmers face, especially for young aspiring farmers. I've been working about uh, four years now with a program we call North Carolina Farm School. The goal we have for NC Farm School is to help people who have access to land take their dream and turn it into a reality of starting a farm. If they do not have family land, that is the biggest challenge. For most people we work with, they're going to start with under five acres of land, just because they can afford under five acres of land. They're probably going to choose an area that's not developed. That means they may move away from population centers and have to take their crops to it. A lot of our farm school students are buying land that maybe have been neglected for many years. So they're going to spend the first two to three years just getting that land ready for production. In other words, starting a farm is not just a matter of affording the land. According to estimates from the NC Farm School, growing crops can require $15,000 to $30,000 of startup costs per acre of production. Raising livestock is even more expensive. A used truck for the farm might cost $5,000. A used tiller would be around $1,000, whereas a mid-sized tractor is worth $25 to $50,000, and that's not counting fuel and maintenance costs. Assuming you already have a well on your property, a drip irrigation system will cost you over $1,000. The list goes on. In terms of return on investment, you won't be out of the red until year four if all goes well. You have to buy the land, you have to buy the equipment, then you have to be able, if you're doing like a multi-year crop, you have to be able to put that crop in. Something, you know, like grapes or blueberries, then you have to put that in. So it's just really capital intense compared to other enterprises. Unlike most other small business ventures, farmers also have to deal with a number of unpredictable risks, from weather to pests to market fluctuations. And this is in addition to the fees associated with increasingly cumbersome federal and state licensing and insurance requirements. These costs are near prohibitive for young people who want to farm their own land. Frustratingly, it's impossible to earn enough money by working on someone else's land to afford your own. Jeff Poppin, a longtime farmer in Red Boiling Springs, Tennessee, formed a consulting business to bridge the landowner-landseeker gap. He helps young people find farms to work on, but he can't do much to help them afford to buy their own land. I've been starting farms uh, for the last 10 years in the Davidson County area, where there's you know someone with some land that doesn't know how to farm. I mean, most people that own land now have no clue about farming because you can't afford to buy land if you're a farmer and so they're you know doctors and politicians and lawyers and you know they have other careers that they're really good at but they don't know anything about agriculture and then there are a lot of young people um, that do want to learn this and so 
generally I have somebody with some land and then I have some young people and we put that together and, and get a farm going. You can't afford to buy land if you're a farmer. Think about that. 40% of our nation's farmland is rented and that's an alternative most aspiring farmers consider second best to owning land. It seems there are three distinct patterns in land transfer. A pragmatic farmer might retire, sell the land, and give his or her children cash. The same farmer might instead bequeath the land directly to his or her children, but the children have jobs in a city and don't want the land, so they sell the land after the farmer dies. Alternatively, the family might hold on to the land but not want to work it. They either let it go fallow or they lease it to people, probably young people like the ones approaching Poppin for help. The fate of the land depends on the family's financial situation and their attachment to that pastoral way of life. Lilia McFarland, the coordinator of USDA's New and Beginning Farmer and Rancher program, recognizes how complicated this topic is. There's a lot of moving pieces because it's not just the sheer economics of the transfer, it's also the family and the social ties to the land. That land is part of them and it's part of their legacy. It's really, really hard to come up with a good strategy and, and manage those transitions over time. McFarland says that in her 10 years at USDA, she has seen the department put more focus on supporting the next generation of farmers through grants, loan assistance, tax breaks, and other resources. The newest Federal Agricultural Act, or Farm Bill, was passed in 2014. It authorized $100 million for training, education, outreach, and technical assistance for beginning farmers and ranchers to be spent by 2018. $33 million goes to assist retired or retiring farmers when they transfer land to certain farmers. Beginning farmers may be eligible for a number of other benefits, including lower insurance premiums, down payment loan assistance, and exemption from certain administrative fees. To help navigate these resources, USDA launched a website specifically for new and beginning farmers in 2014. Throughout those programs, we're really working to help support both sides of the farmland access equation. The results of the next agricultural census to be released in 2019 will show whether the USDA's newest programs have been successful in helping new and younger farmers enter the industry. Tennessee farmers Subcheck and Ramirez said they haven't been eligible for many USDA grants and loans because they only just began filing taxes as farmers. Subcheck's credit history made them eligible for traditional loans and the couple received monetary gifts from family members that made their initial down payment possible. We don't have a lot in savings, and we don't have a lot right now that's not in the land. And, um, and for some people that works, we're two healthy young individuals, and so I, I think that's why it works maybe for us more than others. We have the energy and we have the, the time, you know, to a certain extent, and um, the health to be able to do this work. Ramirez and Sevchuk say that in the end, all the land hunting and loan applications and the forced creativity of farming the sloped, heavily forested land they could afford, it's all worth the chance to grow food for themselves and others. Farming is not like a get-rich-quick scheme. Young farmers these days, if you don't have an all-farm job that's going to help you pay for your land, a lot of creative thinking is going to have to happen for us to take back the land from the development and, and bring, it, bring it back into the hands of the people who are going to secure the food shed for cities like Nashville. So when I walked into the forest and I saw the land here, 
I was like, yeah, it's a little daunting, but we saw a lot of resources, things that could be used for the health and well-being and sustenance of human beings. When we moved in here, originally from the get-go, we were like, all right, we're gonna be doing a different type of farming. There's no clear solution to these challenges. Older farm owners who need the money will continue to sell their land to developers. Nostalgic farm owners will continue to lease rather than to sell to new farmers. And the children of farmers will continue to seek new opportunities off the farm. Government programs do help bridge the gap along with community-based insider knowledge that makes the land hunt easier. No one knows the future of the American small farmer. But, at least in Middle Tennessee, those rare folks like Poppin, Ramirez, and Sevchuk will keep working to preserve that historic agrarian ideal. Carolina Leland is a freelance journalist based in Nashville, Tennessee. You can find more information about the agricultural programs mentioned in this episode by going to our website. That's southernfoodways.org slash gravy. Gravy's theme music is by Wendell Patrick. Donor music is by Jazar. Our intern is Robin Miniter, and the managing editor for all SFA media is Sarah Camp Milo. Coming up, a taste of the next episode of Gravy. But first... Can't get enough smart stories about Southern Foodways? Our sister print quarterly, also called Gravy, just released its spring 2017 issue. In it, you'll find a photo essay about family recipes, a conversation about the value of Southern food between Kat Kinsman and NYU Food Studies professor Krishnendu Ray, and an article about the Southern roots of the Detroit food system. To subscribe to Gravy, all you have to do is become an SFA member. Join online at our website, southernfoodways.org. Membership dollars support all SFA work, including our oral histories and this podcast. Next up on Gravy, the story of a burly Texas grapevine that grows hardy and tough and is disease-resistant. Listen up to a story about a Texan and his vineyard, about a Lone Star man who saved the European wine industry from collapse. It's a tale of a Texan whom the French celebrate as one of their own. You're listening to Gravy. I'm John T. Edge for the Southern Foodways Alliance. And as you go about your day, please remember, make cornbread, not war.